Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. In this episode, I noticed that we kept referring to my excision surgeon as an endometriosis specialist. So I do want to clarify that there is no such thing as an endometriosis specialist because there is no formal standard in gynecology to use that title. A doctor can call themselves an endometriosis expert or an endometriosis specialist, even if they're only doing ablation or they're only prescribing hormonal management and they don't even do excision. So what we should have said is excision surgeon. And actually, we should have said expert excision surgeon because excision is operator dependent. So the surgeon's skills and experience really do matter. When a doctor says that it's quote unquote too risky to remove bowel endometriosis, it usually means that they lack the skills needed to safely remove the endometriosis. And of course, if they don't have the skills, then we wouldn't want them to operate on us because we wouldn't want increased risk of complications. So if a surgeon says that treating bowel endometriosis is too risky, then it's a red flag to seek another excision surgeon. And that brings me to the second thing that I want to clarify for this episode is actually that towards the end... I talk about my own experience with my excision surgeon who left behind about 5% of the endometriosis in my rectum. So he and the colorectal surgeon removed all the rest of my endometriosis and the bulk of my bowel endometriosis, but they told me that they chose to leave behind a very tiny amount due to its location on my rectum and basically said that it would have needed a bowel resection, which has longer recovery times. And with the endo being so close to my anal verge, it had more potential for complications. And therefore, they made the call that the benefits didn't outweigh the risks in my specific case. And I talk in this episode about how it really upset me that my surgeon didn't remove all of my endometriosis because leaving endometriosis behind can be a cause of continued symptoms. And I was really worried about having continued symptoms. With everything I know now about endometriosis, I do believe that it can be safely removed and that it was just too risky for his skill level. But, you know, 
Either way, I am glad that he didn't try to remove that endometriosis because if he wasn't comfortable removing that endometriosis, then I don't want him to take what he considered a risk and then potentially causing me complications due to his lack of skill. It is really important to ask your surgeon questions prior to the surgery to find out their skills with excision as well as bowel endometriosis. So we can ask them questions like, are you fully prepared to excise bowel endometriosis? Do you work with a colorectal surgeon? Will you have me do a bowel prep so that my bowel is prepared in case you do find bowel endometriosis? And this way I don't have to have a second surgery for my bowel endometriosis. How many cases of bowel endometriosis do you treat per year? What's your complication rate? What's your colostomy rate? As in, how many of your patients need a colostomy bag? We say this in the episode, but I think it's worth repeating that bowel endometriosis is treatable in the hands of a true expert excision surgeon. So a true expert can remove the lesions from your bowel and can restore distorted anatomy with a very low risk of complication and generally without the need of a colostomy bag. I want to quote Dr. Sinervo, who is a world-renowned excision surgeon from the Center for Endometriosis, and I want to quote his article, Endometriosis and Bowel Symptoms, which I've gone ahead and also linked in the show notes. So he's talking here about excision of bowel endometriosis and his rates of complication with bowel resection. You can use this as an idea of how low complication rates can be in the hands of a true expert. But remember that you need to find out what your surgeon's complication rates are because complication rates vary from surgeon to surgeon depending on their skill and experience. Quote, The risk of severe postoperative complications occur less than 5% of the time. The risk of long-term complications are rare and the most serious being stenosis or narrowing of the bowel at the re-anastomosis site, which is where the bowel was connected after bowel resection. The rate of colostomy is less than 1-4%, to depending on where the bowel resection was performed, and we have never had a permanent colostomy. Sometimes colostomy is needed if the bowel resection was very low, like less than 7-8 centimeters from the anal verge. End quote. So remember, for the best outcomes and the lowest complications, it's vital to operate your bowel endometriosis with a high-volume excision surgeon who has extensive experience with bowel endometriosis. And you'll want to ask them questions, like the ones I stated earlier, to find out their own outcomes and their own rates of complication. And if you go to my website, which is in 16years.com, I have a lot of resources there about how to find an excision surgeon, and I have three sets of questions that you can ask your surgeon to judge their skill. Okay, so the third and last thing that I want to mention that we didn't really talk about in this episode is the diagnosis of bowel endometriosis. The only way to have a confirmed diagnosis is through laparoscopy and a pathology report, but your doctor may suspect bowel endometriosis from your symptoms. They might do a digital pain mapping exam or a pelvic exam, and from their findings have a very strong suspicion of bowel endometriosis. 
or they may use ultrasound or MRI to try to pick up any lesions on the scans. Neither of these can pick up superficial endometriosis, but they may be able to see endometriomas and deep infiltrating endometriosis. However, it's really important to know that how the scans are done, the machine used, and the expertise of who's reading the scans is extremely important. And this is why many excision surgeons read their own scans because they know what they're looking for. There's also a difference between a routine ultrasound, which is typically very quick and focused on the ovaries and the uterus, and then an expert-guided transvaginal ultrasound, which systematically takes the time to look at other organs in the pelvic cavity, like the bladder and the bowel, and then to see the relationship and the movement between these organs to see if there's any signs of endometriosis. And while ultrasound or MRI may pick up signs of bowel endometriosis, MRI might be more accurate for higher lesions on the sigmoid, the right colon, and the small bowel. Of course, keep in mind that a negative scan doesn't mean that you don't have endometriosis or that you don't have bowel endometriosis. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to talk about bowel endometriosis. Ooh, enticing topic. Which is something very near and dear to my heart. Not because... You mean very near and dear to your intestines. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Not because my heart is near my intestines. But I mean emotionally. (laughs) Emotionally, Brittany. Okay, okay. I'm with you. So this episode is going to be more of the factual side. We're going to talk about what bowel endometriosis is. It's a gift in your bowels. How it's diagnosed, how it's treated, etc. The science part of bowel endometriosis. Ooh, sciency. Sciency, but going to be fun. And then another few episodes we're going to talk about living with bowel endometriosis, the feelings. Ooh, so we have sciency oh. and feelingsy. Ooh, <laughs> the personal solutions. Ooh, I like the fun part. Let's skip it. Just go right to the fun part. This one is going to be fun too, okay, Brittany, okay. <laughs> but it's important that we know the facts about bowel endometriosis because <laughs> because bowel see it's it's it makes you so five scared. times fast. Do you it. cannot even talk. Yeah, it just takes the words out of your mouth. It's like oh, endometriosis. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about bowel endometriosis, and when you are like, oh my god, it's on my intestines. What does that mean? Right? So we want to clear that up. So basically you're saying anything that has to do with bowel endo is the fun part. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's bowel okay. endo. The whole thing <laughs> is the fun part. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. First things first. I saw on the website for the Center for Endometriosis the statistic that about 10 to 15% of endometriosis patients actually have bowel endo. So, Brittany. You are 1 in 10 for having endometriosis. And then if you have bowel endometriosis, you are 1 in 10 or you're 1 in 6 because it's 10 to 15%. So you're 1 in 10 of the 1 in 10 or you're 1 in 6 of the 1 in 10, which makes you... A very complicated math equation. (laughs) I didn't know I'd be getting in this podcast and doing algebraic equations. (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for endo either, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we just wanted to point that out because we want you to know starting this episode that even if you have bowel symptoms, that does not mean that you have bowel endometriosis. A really, really high number of people with endometriosis have digestive problems. Yay, diarrhea, constipation, painful bowel movements, intestinal cramping, severe bloating, endo belly. (laughs) Oh, the beautiful things that accompany just periods and endo. (laughs) Also, I read on the website for the Center for Endometriosis that they give a pre-op questionnaire to their patients. So the results of that questionnaire are very interesting. So I will share with you what the website states. Intestinal cramping and painful bowel movements occur in approximately 25% of endometriosis patients. Constipation occurs in about 35% of patients. And diarrhea, our favorite, my absolute has been with us from the start, our prized joy. (laughs) Well, diarrhea occurs in about 60% of patients. And they say on their website that these numbers represent patients with severe or crippling symptoms only. So actually, these numbers are probably a lot higher because these numbers are not including the symptoms that are more mild or more moderate. So all of Amy's math today is to essentially say that when you have endometriosis, you can also have bowel symptoms, but that doesn't actually mean you surefire have endometriosis on your bowel. So I have a question for you, Amy. If we don't have bowel endometriosis, then why do we have all of these bowel issues? Because we're blessed, Brittany. Oh. Yeah, I'm not taking that answer. Give me a real one. (laughs) Well, we're blessed with endolesions in our pelvis that can irritate the bowel. Everything irritates the bowel. Well, Brittany, if you were a bowel and there was endometriosis growing in the abdomen in the same cavity where you lived, but where it shouldn't be, it's like an invader invading your space, then, of course... As the intestines, you might freak out a little. It's like living in an apartment and next door a bad tenant moves in and you're just (laughs) like, I don't want to be here. I'm irritated. And that tenant's playing its music really loud. The bass is all the way up. They have a screaming baby. Yeah, yeah. I would be irritated too. A dog barking all night. Yeah, that that would get me irritated. Fair. (laughs) So basically, I think we know that endometriosis causes inflammation and it can cause a lot of inflammation. And so endo tissue can release prostaglandins, tumor necrosis factor. That doesn't sound alarming at all. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) With a word like necrosis, how can you go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And tumor. Interleukins and cytokines. So those are all fancy words for inflammation, basically. So prostaglandins are released by endo and or the uterus during your period. And guess what, Brittany? Guess what that causes? What does it cause, Amy? It can cause smooth muscle contractility. And guess what that means? (laughs) I know what that means. Fancy words for (laughs) diarrhea and intestinal cramping. My body knows what that means. (laughs) Gotta love me some good intestinal cramping. Thank you, prostaglandins. Thank you, smooth muscle contractility. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call diarrhea from now on. I have a prostaglandin issue right now. I need to leave this meeting. 
Why? I'm having some smooth muscle contractility and I need to excuse myself. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, okay. You can, Whatever that means. You, you can go. <laughs> it's better than, I need to have diarrhea right now. Bye. <laughs> Don't do that at work. Don't. <laughs> Don't do that. Well, with all these different kinds of inflammation going on, which we all know and love and are so familiar with. I love inflammation. I know. <laughs> well, it can lead to SIBO, which can cause severe bloating. I love SIBO. Endo belly. Oh, yes. That's your favorite. <laughs> but it also causes, of course, the cramping and the digestive disturbances. Plus, our diets. Why do I always have to come back to our diets? Of course, whatever you eat can play a role in how your digestion's actually going. Really? So can stress. Gosh, Sherlock Holmes. And sleep or lack oh of it. Or basically Good. anything. Good Lord. <laughs> Does this list ever stop? What doesn't contribute to my digestive problems? Uh, Nothing. No comment? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all of this to say that there can be several root causes to our digestive problems. So we're going to talk about some of the causes and the potential solutions in another few episodes. So what we've established is that bowel problems are common with endometriosis, and there's many causes behind bowel problems apart from bowel endometriosis. Yeah, we don't want this episode to make you worried that you definitely I'm, have bowel endometriosis. I'm worried. You're worried about everything. That's but true. <laughs> this episode, and, I already have and we already have confirmed that you have bowel endo. So remember, the 10 to 15% of people with endo have it, and you won't know until that's confirmed. But don't be scared if you have lots of diarrhea and extra intestinal cramping, because that's not very uncommon with just regular endometriosis. Oh, the joys of endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brittany, let's go over some vocabulary that we need to understand bowel endometriosis and also that you may see if you do have bowel endometriosis, you might see this on your post-operative report. And remember when you get surgery, you should always get your post-op report. Always. You should take that thing home. You should read it. You may not understand it because it's pretty scientific. It was really hard. I had to read mine like 22 times and use Google to understand mine. So something that we see often in bowel endometriosis is the sigmoid colon. Ooh, ding, 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 ding. What is the curved part of the large intestine before the rectum, Amy? Did I win the points? Is this Jeopardy? Yeah. This is endoperty. <laughs> endoperty. <laughs> Jeopardy. Correct. For 500 points. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Next. For 300 points. So it's a little easier. Rectum. Ooh. What is the final part of the large intestine leading to the anus? You said anus. <laughs> Anus. I'm sorry. Still a fun word. We're, We're immature, but it's yeah. really a fun word. So, like, anus is really fun to say. Just, like, say it. If you're in an appropriate location, <laughs> just, just say, say the word anus. 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 <laughs> it's a really fun word, it's okay? it funny that anus, I feel like, does not carry as much stigma as the word vagina. That's true. Everyone has butt, Amy. Only half the population has vaginas. Dirty. Silly. <laughs> Anus. Well, I bet a anus is much dirtier than a uh, vagina. Yeah, factually wise, bacterially wise. Yeah, yeah, it is. But certain groups don't have vaginas. Yeah, so okay. Certain dominant. We groups. can't relate. <laughs> they may be forty nine percent of the population, but you know, technically, there's less of them. I googled a lot of terms while writing this episode. So if Google is tracking <laughs> I was me, gonna say. They're like, wow, this girl's what really, is she doing? really interested in the rectum and the anus. 
So adhesions can cause the sigmoid colon or the rectum to fuse to your uterus. What is an obliterated cul-de-sac? Correct. So the obliterated cul-de-sac is when your sigmoid colon or your rectum fuse to your uterus. Two body parts become one. That should not be one. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, not in a good way. <laughs> the anus gets really close to the vagina. In a way nobody wants. <laughs> okay, pause for a minute. Doesn't the word sigmoid, colon, but the word sigmoid seem so fancy to you? It sounds posh, right? Oh, absolutely. It sounds like I go to some castle somewhere in England and they're like, oh, now introducing Duke Sigmoid. <laughs> You're like, oh, that sounds fancy. Yes. <laughs> oh, quite. We're, we're like offending all of our listeners that have British accents in this moment. <laughs> I want you to know that I was previously married to a Brit. And I lived in Britain for a while. <laughs> for seven years. And we're still terrible. <laughs> okay. No, I feel like that gives me... It's yeah, like, it gives us a right, okay? You can joke about what you know about. And we also joke about our own accents. So, and I know, and yeah. I know British very well yeah. from a previous marriage. <laughs> oh, did you know that sigmoid is, in fact, the name of the... 18th letter of the Greek alphabet. So it is fancy. Yes. Ugh, knew it. It's Greek. So we're sorry to the Brits because <laughs> it's actually Greek. <laughs> so that part of the colon is named after its shape of the sigmoid, which that letter is shaped like a C. Oh, they did that, didn't they? <laughs> so we have a Duke sigmoid. Do we have a Duke rectum? Uh, no. No, 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 no. That's the court jester rectum. Okay. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> Don't you know the monarchy in this system? <laughs> That's true. The hierarchy? <laughs> That's true. The human anatomy of testimony monarchy. It's all, yeah, and also rectum just does not sound posh. It's not as fun. Yeah. And it doesn't sound posh, no. It does sound like you'd be a subservient yeah. to the court jester rectum. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> sounds accurate. Well, Duke Sigmoid or court gesture rectum, can also fuse to the pelvic side walls or to your vaginal wall. What is causes symptoms like painful sex because of the location of the adhesions? Upon insertion, everything's shifting and moving, but it can't because it's all stuck together. Or upon insertion, the penis is basically stabbing <laughs> oh your adhesions. God. Stab, stab. Was that the answer you were looking for, Amy Trebek? <laughs> well, yes, Brittany, you Yay! are correct. Because of the adhesions in the palace of Duke Sigmoid, sex can be extremely painful. Additionally, apart from all that painful sex, stabby, stabby. I got really excited, okay. <laughs> additionally, the intestines are normally able to stretch if needed when the stool passes through your intestines will do stretching. But, Brittany Butts, with adhesions, your intestines can narrow. Ooh, guilty, I had that. And or harden. Oh, yikes. Which makes passing stool extremely. <laughs> what is painful? So I read on endopedia.info, which is based on the research of Dr. David Redwine, which we love that site, that recto Vaginal endo can present with a severe backache. I'm sorry, what? Rectovaginal? 
Oh, my. <laughs> yes. Rectovaginal endo is a thing. And it's a royal pain. In your vagina. <laughs> in your vagina. <laughs> and your rectum. <laughs> and, of course, you know how it made me feel to find out that it could cause a, quote, severe, unquote, backache. What is? Validation. Learning about endometriosis, the science of endometriosis has been so validating. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Let it out. <laughs> it's been so validating because all the things that were just dismissed, right, so easily. Oh, my vagina gives me stabbing pains. That's no, not real. Suck it up. No, it doesn't. Oh, I think there's a pain in my rectum during my period. That's not real. Why would there be? <laughs> That's in your head. Who else listening gets these things? Probably most of you. <laughs> right? Who else listening gets the backache? It's not like a regular backache. Like, I put my back out because apparently if you lay in bed all weekend. Because, <laughs> and then you're going to stand up. <laughs> because you have an endo flare and you literally can't get up. And then after, like, three days you get out of bed, every time my, my back goes out because it's like, you haven't used any muscles in your body in three days. You've been a sack of painful jello. <laughs> But not that kind of backache. I mean, the kind of backache, like the endo backache, where your back feels like it's breaking in half. And I love that endopedia.info said, and I quote, severe backache. Not just a regular backache. They specifically put the adjective severe in there, which is so validating. I mean, personally, I would describe it as being crushed under the wheel of a car and you're screaming. And you're clutching your back and you're begging for it to stop and perhaps you're throwing up. But I understand the medical literature cannot put in all those details every time you want to put in the word backache. So they settled for the word severe. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but we all know what severe means. So a reoccurring theme in our friendship and on this podcast is that you've done a lot of screaming before your excision surgery. Brittany, that's a reoccurring theme in endometriosis. Yeah, it's just like you have a lot of screaming going on. <laughs> so I was just wondering if you'd ever considered, you know, making some side money as a professional <laughs> screamer. You know, they have those like scream movies. Be like, I am the best screamer out there. Just let me record all of the scream takes in different like levels of my voice. And you can use that for all the screams. Like, you can make some good money off that. You'd be like, hold on. I'm going to eat a piece of pizza. I'm going to have a flare. <laughs> and then I'm going to scream my head off. And the producer's like, um, you sound like you're in real distress over there. And that's because that's what you I wanted. am. You told me you wanted it to be real. This isn't acting. This is real. <laughs> this is real life right here. Real life. So maybe you can use it as a side hustle just, you know, for future thinking. <laughs> Thank you, Brittany. When they come out and scream five, I'll just sign yeah, up yeah. for the, the cast list. <laughs> On the back, when they roll the credits, doesn't even say my name. It says things like Prince Recto Vaginal <laughs> Screams provided by Duke. Princess Endo. <laughs> Duke Sigmoid. <laughs> I got that backache ever since my first period. Ooh, yes. Lucky you. 16 years old. My mom was on the phone with 911. Who else is rode to the hospital in the back of an in Well, obviously in the back. You wouldn't be, like, strapped to an ambulance. <laughs> or driving. I mean, <laughs> if you're an EMS person, like, that's awesome. I mean, if you're desperate, you, would not you drive yourself. steal an ambulance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, there are, there are so many nerves in our back. And so that's another reason why the pain is so crippling. And on a serious note, 
to anyone out there who is living with debilitating pain, who has debilitating pain during their flares, during their period, when they eat something, I know what that feels like. And I know how mentally and physically exhausting that is. And again, we just want to say that we are so sorry that you have to experience that. And we are, we're rooting for you. We're always rooting for you. Now we want to talk about everybody's favorite life event, (laughs) misdiagnosis. Oh, I love getting misdiagnosed. (laughs) Multiple times in many of your cases. So who here has been misdiagnosed? Maybe with something like IBS. (gasps) Me. Or Crohn's. Or anxiety. (laughs) Oh, me, me too, me too. I mean, I know many of us present with digestive problems. That's the very first thing that kind of rears its ugly head. The prostaglandins, the prostaglandins. Mm, Fun. I mean, the crushing menstrual pain is there, but of course the doctors like think that's not real. So the other thing that they recognize is the digestive problems. Many of us first get bloating. As we know, the beautiful endo belly. My little giant endo belly. (laughs) There's lots of diarrhea. Ooh. And also, conversely, constipation. Yes. Because that's fun. Then, of course, the nausea every time, the vomiting, the abdominal pain, the painful bowel movements. Maybe it's just something unrelated. Well, I feel like the doctor doesn't know or believe that when we say severe pain, we're not talking about, oh, I ate something I shouldn't have ate and now I have a stomach ache. We're talking about, I'm terrified to have a bowel movement because when I do, I scream out in pain because it feels like I'm crapping out a knife from my rectum. You know, the knife? Enjoyable. The knife you crap out. You know the crapping knife? Doesn't everybody crap out a knife? No? Okay, just me? Just us? Just this community? Okay. You invite the doctor. He's like, so on a scale of one to ten, what's your pain? You're like, it's like a thousand? I mean. It's like knives coming out of me. I don't think that's. A thing. I didn't You're ask like, you to think. I just asked you to listen and believe like, me. Okay. <laughs> come watch me. I'm pretty sure I'm due to have a bowel movement pretty shortly. So come in the bathroom with me. Or just leave the door cracked and you can hear me scream. <laughs> Something about bowel endo. Oh, bowel endo. Everyone's pride and joy. Is that often symptoms are more severe during menstruation or they only occur during menstruation. And this often depends if the endo is in your court gesture rectum or not. (laughs) They ask you, they're like, so where's your endometriosis? Oh, it's in my rectum. What is causes rectal pain when sitting down? Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? Like, that's also a thing that happens. When you sit sit down, you're like, ow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Who's scared of sitting down? We are! (laughs) Who's scared of speed bumps? We are! (laughs) Well, I got to that point before surgery. First, I had the classic, when I menstruate, my whole body turns into a monster symptoms, where I I had the rectal pain and the painful bowel movement and all that only during menstruation. But by the time I was 30, 
Because you know what they say about getting old? Well, I don't think 30 is old, but you know what they say about getting old? Your body just breaks more age, out. More problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you know when you turn the good old 3-0, the endo's just like, woo! It's time to party. All the time, baby. All the time. So for a couple months before my surgery, I went ahead and I had to carry around a butt pillow. (laughs) Thank you, endometriosis, (laughs) for making me look like a freak. Actually, people at work were like, that's a fancy pillow. That must be really nice for your alignment. You're like, that's exactly why I (laughs) bought it for posture. Actually, it's not a butt pillow, Brittany. It's a coxal seat cushion yeah but butt pillows better <laughs> yeah well when you want to be posh oh it's for your coccyx yes of it's course. your yes and you say well this is what all the people are doing they yes. all are getting the coxal seat cushion okay you know you they sounds of, very official first they would go ahead and they would sit on the balance ball mm-hmm. you know the bouncy balance you got your ball, yoga the block ball. you got your medicine ball and your coxal seat cushion <laughs> Precisely. you are stocked <laughs> So the point of all of this is that because of the bowel problems, it can lead us. I wouldn't and, call this. I wouldn't call diarrhea a problem. Um, I wouldn't call being terrified of going to the bathroom a I problem. I think that's the problem. Oh, you need to check your attitude, <laughs> Brittany. Think positive. It's an opportunity. Okay, but the positivity does not do away with my diarrhea. So we're going to just be real. <laughs> well, I mean, it's having an opportunity for growth. Oh, Brittany. Growth in what? Growth in your endometriosis in your rectal vaginal cavity. I don't know. I don't want that. Well, you got it. You got it. Face reality. Okay. Okay. Well, because of all of those non-problem problems, according to Amy. All the symptoms. The symptoms. It can lead us and the doctors down the wrong path for diagnosis because those are the things. Yeah, those are the things that are so pressing that it's often hard to see the underlying causes. So because you had all these bowel issues. Opportunities. <laughs> okay. Bowel opportunities for, for growth. <laughs> we'll name them. B-O-G's. <laughs> bowel opportunities for growth. Bog. That sounds appropriate. It's disgusting. Okay. Because of the bogs. <laughs> okay. Because of the bogs. <laughs> going through your, your process to get a diagnosis, I know you had already, at a young age, had a colonoscopy. Bing. What is a camera up your butt? Correct. It's really fun to do when you're in your first year of college in oh, a, a dorm joy. room shared with 40 people taking an enema flavored by, oh, not, not an enema. Yeah, an enema. No, what makes it make a... An enema goes up your butt. Not an enema. A laxative. Oh, there you go. I was Excuse. like, wrong direction. Excuse me. I got confused. You've had so many. You'd think you'd know this by now. I've had three. <laughs> 40 other girls in my dorm floor... And then spend the whole night crapping in the toilet. Noisy crapping. Because when course. you take a laxative, it's not... It's, yeah, you can't hide that. It's like a noisy crapping. <laughs> and then at 5.30 in the morning, going to the appointment of your colonoscopy. Every college girl's dream. It was fun. <laughs> I know at a young age, you had also had an endoscopy. What's a camera in your stomach? Yes. And I know, which this just... Ugh. When you told me about this, I don't like swallowing anything that makes my stomach hurt. And knowing that you had to do a barium swallow. What is something that you drink to then have an x-ray of your stomach? Yeah, that's awful. Which was gross. Oh, that's just so gross. And guess what it showed? What? Nothing. Oh my God, surprise. It was was negative. (laughs) Is that why you also had to later give a stool sample? Bing. I think we all know what a stool sample is. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so that's fair. <laughs> you still you, get some points. It's when you scoop some of your poop in a little vial. Oh, that's so great. And it is a little bit vile. Which is very <laughs> traumatic, again, when you're in high school and when mm-hmm. you're 16 years old. I've had a lot of trauma for enemy. Like, seriously. As a young kid, you had a lot of traumatic I don't think we're going to call it opportunities for growth. We're going to call it opportunities for, <laughs> for trauma. trauma. <laughs> we're going to name it to bots. From bogs to bots. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bowel opportunities for trauma. I know you've also had, like, a bajillion allergy tests at this point. Negative. Yep. All negative. All negative. So they just diagnosed you with blanket IBS. Yeah, Brittany, it was very clear that because there was nothing actually wrong with me, I had IBS. Quote, unquote, actually wrong with me. Because none of the tests showed that there was anything wrong with me. And I was told to eat more fiber. Like that worked. Well, guess what? (laughs) If I eat fiber, it will block my intestines. But, you know, go ahead and eat more fiber. That's what you need to do. Ding, ding, ding. What is useless diagnosis? (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. What is useless medical advice? (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. What is everybody's listening life? (laughs) Not fair. Not fair at all. Well, we joke about IBS, but the problem or the opportunity with having IBS is that if we don't have other endo symptoms yet, if we don't have, I mean... Bless us. Thank God. We don't <laughs> I was going to say, what a relief. <laughs> thank goodness, right? But if we, if we only present with bowel symptoms and we don't have other endo symptoms like painful sex or painful periods, or maybe we do have those things, but we're told the classic. Pain's all in your head. It makes sense that it's IBS. So we're not going to look any further. Precisely. In the doctor's mind, it, it makes sense. Your period pain isn't real. Your painful sex isn't real. All that uteral, vaginal stuff going on, well, that's not real, is it? So it must be IBS because the quote-unquote only thing that you have are the bowel symptoms, but they can't find anything on all the scans and all the tests that they do, so it's IBS. And did you know that many times it takes those of us with bowel endometriosis, it takes longer to get diagnosed with endometriosis because Many times we're first misdiagnosed with IBS or even Crohn's. And then, like Brittany said, the doctor doesn't investigate further. And then we've been told by a doctor that this is what we have. And a lot of us, and in my own case, well, we don't investigate further because we're being told that's all it is. And we're being shut down when we go to the doctor. We're being dismissed. We're being told that's not real. And at some point, at least for me, I unfortunately stopped advocating for myself. Because they broke me, Brittany. All those doctors broke me. You're going through all that trauma. There's people you think you should be able to trust and they ignore you. That's devastating. Well, that's the thing. We need to, in my opinion, we need to teach GI doctors, we need to teach gastrointestinal doctors about the symptoms of endometriosis. Did you know that when I started having Like I said, I had all this diarrhea and then it like cleared up somewhat. And then when I got to the big 3-0. Happy birthday to you. Not in that exact moment, but around that time. I was picturing it that (laughs) Don, that's disappointing. You brought out the birthday cake and I ate it. Blow out the candles. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my rectum. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. So I consulted, as I mentioned, I was married previously to a Brit and his brother was a GI doctor. And so I began having 
really bad bouts of constipation like but like I'd never have before and just just so ridiculous. And when I talked to him and he was like, oh, well, you know, IBS, it's a tricky thing. And, you know, you can fluctuate from diarrhea to constipation. So it's just your IBS. The doctors are not educated. They don't know there's anything else out there. To know that there's endometriosis and they're not educated to like if they were educated when you presented your symptoms to then say to you, okay, so have you noticed it worsens with your period? When you're menstruating, do you have more symptoms? Like, do you have painful periods? That could be a trigger in their mind to say, oh, wow, they're presenting with bowel symptoms and with menstrual or with gynecological symptoms. Oh, bing. Red flag. Red flag. It could be endometriosis. I love your pipe dream, Amy, when we're still fighting to get regular gynecologists to know what endometriosis is. But I love your perfect ideal world. It sounds beautiful. We need all the people on the front line, all the doctors. We need all the people with medical training to have sufficient medical training. (gasps) That's the T. On endometriosis affecting one out of ten. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of us. You're right, Brittany. You're right. Because... I remember I went to the gynecologist because I had noted that when my diarrhea cleared up, like in my early 20s, then I would get diarrhea only like I would start bleeding and then I would run and be in the bathroom for hours, diarrhea 20 times. And I went to the doctor and I told him this because it would get so bad that at times I would be dehydrated and I would have to go to the hospital to get an IV for oh dehydration gosh. until I learned that I should buy oral rehydration fluids and mix them with my water. And then my period came. I would drink rehydration. <laughs> rehydration. In it goes, out it goes. In it goes, out it goes. <laughs> put it in, put it out, put yeah. it in. <laughs> and I went to the gynecologist and I was like, this is what's happening. It's like, oh, diarrhea is not a symptom of your period. But it is a symptom of endometriosis, and he should have been able to recognize that. Well, gee, Sherlock Holmes, it sounds to me like it is a symptom. (laughs) Of something. (laughs) Something very obvious. Gee whiz, 24 days out of the month, I don't have diarrhea. Oh, red liquid is coming out of my vagina, and now a bunch of brown liquid is coming out. A rectum. Court chest rectum. <laughs> Let me see what that tells us. What kind of correlation is there? Clearly, he did not know how to put one and two together. Don't you use science. If A equals B, then B equals C, then A equals C. Okay. There's a correlation here. Okay. I was 19 at that time. Even I got it. Okay. <laughs> Medical school for eight years or however many. And so that same doctor, and I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but because that doctor really did hurt me emotionally, but he then told me to see a psychiatrist because I had anxiety. And then he also told me to eat more fiber, you know, for the diarrhea. So he was like, you have anxiety. You need to see a psychiatrist, which he actually wrote on his medical notepad by the way, and gave it to me like a prescription. Awkward. (laughs) Here, you need to take this drug, psychiatrist. (laughs) "Mm, Here, go to a psychiatrist. Are you telling me to be a cannibal? I don't understand. (laughs) And also eat fiber. So I, I need a clarification here. Did he expect you to take the fiber, then see the psychologist or psychiatrist or like take it with them or like 
What? Where does the fiber and the psychiatry, psychology interact together? I think you're supposed to eat more fiber uh-huh. and then go to the psychiatrist and talk about how it made you feel when you were eating more fiber. Oh, do you show them your stool sample or no? <laughs> <laughs> you crap. Like, I'm confused now. <laughs> you crap on the paper and then fold it to make the ink blot. <laughs> like, this is my Rorschach. It's made of my own diarrhea. <laughs> That's pretty gnarly. And then you ask the psychiatrist, you're like, looking at my diarrhea. How does this make me feel? <laughs> and he's like. Makes me feel like I have to have diarrhea right now. Be right back. <laughs> uh, I think this makes me feel like you are certifiably <laughs> with anxiety. She's making more shocks with her poo. It's time to go. (laughs) Okay, Brittany, why isn't Prince rectovaginal endo, court jester rectal endo, or Duke Sigmoid colon endo seen in a colonoscopy? What is your bowel has four layers? Do I get extra credit if I know what they are? Please. Fine. Okay. Okay. You have the serosa. She's so eager, isn't she? <laughs> the outer muscularis. Brittany was a really good student at school. Oh, yeah. Clearly, we can we can clearly see that. <laughs> I just really like to. Were get you valedictorian, Brittany? No, I um I was kind of lazy at school, but I also like to know things. So <laughs> that's where it comes from. So the serosa, the outer muscularis, the inner muscularis, and the mucosa. My favorite. Oh my. <laughs> Mucosa. Sounds like mucus. I love it. <laughs> Probably is covered in mucus. <laughs> Would be my suspicion by the name muc- mu- muco- <laughs> mucosa. <laughs> the mucosa. So where is most endometriosis? It's on the outside of the intestines. And usually it's superficial. On the Center from Endometriosis website, that says about 90% of bowel endo is superficial or localized. So when the camera on the colonoscopy goes up your butts oh, <laughs> to see inside, <laughs> sound effects help. It doesn't see the outside. That's, it only sees the inside because it's a camera. It's inside the tube, not outside the tube. So it's not very common that endo goes through the four layers of the bowel. And so that's why they normally don't see endometriosis on a colonoscopy. And I had a colonoscopy about two weeks before I had my excision surgery because it was part of the requirement to, they wanted to see how deep, like if the endometriosis had gone through the four layers of the bowel and they did not see it on the colonoscopy. Yay. Dr. Redwine showed in his research that the location of GI endometriosis follows well-defined patterns. What kind of patterns? Geometric patterns, polka dot, floral patterns. Uh, no, not the, none of those kinds of patterns. Patterns in the body on where it's located. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to the patterns, if Endo did like patterns, it probably likes red polka dot. No, it would probably like red ink blots better. <laughs> well, Dr. Redwine talks about embryonically patterned metaplasia. If you remember from our episode on the causes of endometriosis, We talk about how we are most likely born with endo. Yep. Born with endometriosis. Beautiful gift. Lucky us. (laughs) As Brittany said, for the cause of endometriosis, the research is really leaning towards malariosis. And the word malariosis comes from the malarian ducts, which is the scientific term for the beginning of the female reproductive system. 
the cells, when the system is forming, they lay down in patterns, which are also called tracks, in the body. And the theory is that with endometriosis, some of these cells that were going to make the female reproductive system go to the wrong spot and then later become endometriosis. Those poor lost cells. Poor babies. But I do want to say this is a real good time to throw in here that endometriosis is not caused by retrograde menstruation. This is a super outdated myth along with the thought that our uterus just like travels around our body. Like the 1880s called, they want hysteria back. Outdated, not retrograde menstruation. So if you're interested in what the patterns of bowel Wait, endo are. I'm going to put up a billboard. <laughs> Can you imagine some billboard? Like endometriosis hyphen. You're born with it. <laughs> you just drive by and you're like, what? Is there a website I can go to to learn more about this? Like, is it, this was uncalled for? <laughs> like, I wasn't prepared. It's a little aggressive. It's a little attacked here. I sh- like, I shouldn't be reading billboards while driving. That's a hazard. Like, I don't. <laughs> it's for the passengers, Brittany. It's for the passengers. Oh, mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry. So you're going on the pattern. I was asking if you were interested in learning what the patterns of bowel ento are. I am, Brittany. Well, you could have fooled I me because you interrupted me so good. <laughs> well, <excuse me. laughs> so just in case you're interested as to where it's going to end up, Duke rectosigmoid is the most popular in this scenario here. <laughs> and that is the one that is that it's most common to have bowel endo in that area. Oh, my gosh. Who here has Duke rectosigmoid? No, probably a lot of you. <laughs> <laughs> if you have bowel endo, that's probably where it is. So the next part is the ilium, which is the small intestine. And I had that too. I, I had that you just too. had you had the gamut, okay? You had a royal flush. <laughs> so that's the second most common to have a bowel endo on. And then our beautiful useless appendix. I did not have endo on that. <laughs> that can also grow some That endo. was like the only spot when I saw the wow, surgery. The pictures. useless appendix is endo free. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Which and I was surprised to find out that's considered bowel endo because I didn't realize your appendix was part of yeah. the bowel. I guess it's just like they're doing its thing, so the appendix, anatomy lesson, the appendix hangs off of your cecum. And that's the first part of your large bowel for a frame of reference. And you can also have endometriosis there as well. Of course you can. Yes. <laughs> so Dr. David Redwine actually has a chart that is on endopedia.info. Of course he does. Because he's amazing. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he's researched into it. I love it. I love it. And Go if there. you're a visual person like we are, it's really handy so that you can see that number of patients with each part of the intestine involved. So you can get like a really good read on what's most common. So often a skilled doctor can suspect bowel endometriosis when they do a pain mapping exam, which normally involves the doctor putting their fingers inside of your vaginal cavity and or your rectum. Another joy of endometriosis. <laughs> and that's a how, digital exam. <laughs> and that's how my doctor knew that I had bowel endometriosis. Because when he put his fingers in my rectum, I was like, oh my God, sweet mommy, why did you do that to me? <laughs> and it wasn't just, this is awkward. This is, it was, this is painful. <laughs> <laughs> practically slapped him in. Well, because it's so like, I mean, they're very gentle, but it's so sensitive. And swollen and inflamed and angry. <laughs> he was like, daring to put it in a trap like that. 
<laughs> he was, was putting his hand in fire. It was a mousetrap. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry I slapped you in the face when you stuck your finger I in, just my, couldn't help in it. my rectum. I am so sorry. <laughs> it was a reflex. The endo made me do it. And now the most important part. Treatment. Is there treatment? Yes, Brittany. Bowel yes! endo is treatable. Oh, hope abounds. <laughs> <laughs> there is hope with treatment for bowel endometriosis. So one of the treatment options, ablation, can't actually do anything to bowel endo because the heat could burn a hole in your intestines, which nobody wants that, okay? I'd rather keep the endo than the intestinal hole, okay? It's not, I'm not looking for Swiss cheese in my intestines. <laughs> Who doesn't love fecal sepsis? Oh, it sounds like a fun weekend activity. <laughs> Use that fecal matter leaking out of a hole in your intestines. <laughs> it sounds really grand. Well, that would be the moat where all the oh. the royalty lives. The fecal moat. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what a really great visual we're painting for everybody this time. <laughs> Please know it's very rare to get a hole in your intestines. Please don't be scared. They don't do ablation. Yes, because of that reason. On your intestines because those tissues are too sensitive. So the chance of you getting a hole in your intestines during <laughs> is ablation low. is very low because generally they wouldn't be ablating the endo on your intestines unless they wanted the moat. Is that a rhetorical <laughs> statement? Like, who doesn't want a moat of fecal matter? Like, is that rhetorical? Because that seems like not a real question we should ask people. <laughs> well, honestly, and that's a, that is digressing for a minute, but that is one of the problems with ablation is that often when a person has ablation for the endometriosis, they're not able to get all of the endometriosis. And with bowel endometriosis, and often with ablation in general, because it's not excised at the root, you got to get that shovel in there. You got to get it at the root. You got to yank out those weeds, the endoweeds. People end up having another surgery later on, often with excision, so that they can properly treat their endometriosis. So, Brittany, during excision surgery, how do they get the endometriosis off the bowel if there's such sensitive tissues and we don't want the fecal moat? They do these really fun things where they shave or peel or excise the endo off of the bowel. And to do this, it's called a partial thickness bowel resection, which is really fancy for, we took off a couple layers of your intestines so that we could peel the endo off with it. My goodness, how many layers? Well, I mean, obviously not four, <laughs> because that'd be a full bowel resection. But I'm not sure how many layers, probably as however many it takes where the endo is penetrating. Some of you may have noticed on your post-op report that they, quote, Shaved your rectum. Oh, interesting. <laughs> mm, I didn't sign up for that when I went for surgery. Is that like a perk, a bonus that comes with it? <laughs> and you come out with shiny, smooth butt cheeks. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> wow, what a perk. Bang for your buck. <laughs> well, normally they're not referring to the shaving the hair in your rectum. Oh, they're, re darn. they're referring, I mean, okay, I don't know what Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> If they need to get up close and personal, perhaps. I, I don't know what the hospital did. I wasn't there. But I would say, I'm going to go ahead and, and bet, heavy betting, that they're talking about shaving your endometriosis from your rectum, the inside rectum, the intestinal, the court jester rectum. 
And of course, as we said, that if it penetrates all the way through all four layers, that could be something more of a full bowel resection. What is cutting a piece out of your bowels? Oh, my God. Sorry, it just sounds so violent. <laughs> it is. And I'm sorry, yeah. And putting the two pieces back together again. It's like a puzzle. You got the point, Amy. You just cut the bowel out and you sew it back together. Oh my god. <laughs> sounds way like simpler than it is. Like it's really an official process. But yes, that is resecting your bowel. It's like you have a piece of hose and you cut out a piece in the middle and then you put the two pieces of hose back together. And you hot glue it. <laughs> Doubtful that they're using hot. They stitch it back together. Hot glue in there. But then, and then it's working properly. And then they run the bowel to make sure there's no leaks. So none of the fecal matter gets out. No fecal moats. (laughs) (laughs) They're very careful to have no fecal moats. Let's talk about colostomy bags, Brittany. Oh, yeah, the joy. One of my favorite topics. Something that everybody's hoping will happen. No. Also, I want to point out, and I did ask my sister if I could talk about this on the podcast, but my sister had a elostomy bag, which is a little different because they're in a different spot. But my sister has ulcerative colitis, and she ended up having to have her whole large intestines removed at the grand age of 16 years old. Oh, yes. You both had really rough 16-year-old years, we, okay? <laughs> she copied me. I'm the older sister. She's like, Amy got really sick at 16? Oh, I got to knock her out of the park. Let's God. have my whole intestine removed. I got to trump that, okay? <laughs> I'm not living in her shadow my whole life. So honestly, the colostomy or the elostomy bag is very close to my heart, but it is something that I saw my sister have when we were both in high school, living in the house together. And it was something that it's very hard to have at any age. And I think it's very hard to have it when you're at such a young age and you're going to school and you're in high school and you're vulnerable to all that peer pressure, non- all the nonsense that happens. And so I had really big fears that I would end up with a colostomy bag because I had endometriosis on my bowel. Oh, and side note, She no longer has the clostomy bag. It was a temporary bag that she had for about one year. And then they were able to make what's called a J pouch with her small intestines and hook them back up to her court gesture rectum. Oh, what a good resolution. (laughs) Oh, shiny hairless rectum. (laughs) I mean, I'm assuming. (laughs) Shave the rectum, right? (laughs) I'll ask her. I'll ask her. Okay. (laughs) So what's the... Do you have a hairdresser for the rectum? Or <laughs> does somebody come in and like barbershop shave that? Or do you use like a regular razor? Because I get razor bumps when what there's kind of not... shaving cream are you using back there? I need something very natural, please. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be like, okay, you need to leave. <laughs> well, the good news is, is that if you are scared of coming out of surgery with a colostomy bag, I know Amy was, the chances of that happening in the hands of your excision specialist. You're skilled. Your superiorly skilled excision specialist is very, very low. I asked my doctor flat out about it because I was very nervous about that. Just because I think I had a little bit of PTSD from, I know my sister had the bag, but also, again, a lot of things were happening when we were 16. So it was very traumatic to see her suffering and sick and then have the bag. And my excision specialist, he told me that it's a risk because they always have to inform you of all the risks. But he said that he's never had to give anyone a colostomy bag. Even in the most advanced cases of stage four endo, 
with deep, infiltrating endometriosis on the bowels? So I think that's a really good question to ask your surgeon is how often do your patients end up needing a colostomy bag when they have bowel endometriosis? So from the research that I did into this when I was getting ready to have my surgery, I saw that many excision experts in the endo community say on their websites and in their literature that bowel endometriosis is generally treatable without a colostomy. And if a colostomy bag is needed for the rare case, then they're usually temporary. If you do have a colostomy, I want to say, I saw that firsthand and it is difficult at times. And it's amazing what we go through. And it's amazing that the strength that we have inside. I also want to say one last thought is that if you are consulting with a doctor who tells you that for certain you're going to need a colostomy bag or the risk is really high, I would absolutely seek a second opinion. It could be that the doctor is really skilled with certain parts of the excision, but perhaps not bowel excision. So I would absolutely seek the opinion of another endo specialist to see if they maybe have the skill that would avoid you having to have a colostomy bag. Also, this brings up a really important point that your excision surgeon will often work with a colorectal or a GI or a general surgeon, but just some other surgeon who knows how to operate on the bowels. And this surgeon will not only know how to operate on the bowels, but They will know how to operate or they they will have experience and skill in operating on endometriosis on the bowels. Gotta be double or nothing. Endometriosis is not the same as cancer on the bowels or like my sister had colitis. Beast. It's a nasty beast. it's very different from anything else. So if your excision surgeon needs to work with a colorectal surgeon, that's pretty typical and pretty normal. And that surgeon. Should be expected should know how to treat and operate on bowel endometriosis. It shouldn't just be like, oh, he's a bowel surgeon. It's on come the bowel. Come on into OR4, please. Can you come in here? <laughs> we got There's this nasty monster beast thing. Want to take a look? <laughs> Crack at it? <laughs> Duke Sigmoid looks like he's encroaching on other people's land. Could you come what in here duke. and... <laughs> what a duke. <laughs> But bowel endometriosis, it's complicated, but it's simple, but it's complicated. So if and when you have surgery on bowel endometriosis, you really, like we said in previous episodes, you want to make sure that you choose a surgeon that has the skill to work on these parts of the body because it's very, very sensitive. I wanted to share as well about my surgery because... As you know, I had excision surgery a little over a year ago, and well, one, they managed to unfuse, like to separate my Duke sigmoid from my pelvic wall. A feat in and of itself. (laughs) Which I'm very pleased about, which has made a difference in my bowel symptoms and, and what I can eat. Bowel movements are no longer painful, and I'm not afraid of them. So it's been a really positive experience overall. I had excision surgery with an endo-excision surgeon, but I was surprised, and I will admit I was sad and I was disappointed when I woke up because 
he let me know that he had gotten 95% of my endo, which is incredible, which is amazing because I had stage four and I had organs fused together and obliterated cul-de-sac and my bowels refused to my back wall. So it was it was a mess in there. But I had heard over and over from many leaders in the field that if a doctor was really skilled at excision, that they could get all of the endometriosis. And I was just surprised and sad that they weren't able to get all of the endometriosis, that they ended up leaving five, roughly 5% of the endometriosis, and they left it on my bowel. And my excision surgeon did work with a colorectal surgeon who he always works with for bowel endometriosis. So when I went to the post-op appointment, I asked why they were not able to remove all of the endometriosis from my bowel. And he let me know that in my case, that he didn't think that the benefits would outweigh the risks. So they left behind very little endo because he and the other surgeon, in their expertise, they made a judgment call. And he let me know that I would have needed a bowel resection. But the bowel resection was very close to my rectum. And so he didn't feel that this benefits, again, that they didn't outweigh the risks. And I know that he does bowel resections. So my point of all of this, first of all, I love my surgeon. He did a phenomenal job. I'm feeling a thousand times better. A million, <laughs> a million times better. I will, I will be so grateful. What I want to express in saying this is how I felt after the surgery in general, because I had these really high hopes that I would wake up and they would have gotten all the endo and they weren't able to. And so what I want to say is that all of our cases are so different. And while we know that excision surgery is the gold standard treatment, every person has a different experience and it's still not a cure. And going into your surgery with your endospecialist, we knew how skilled he was and how well he's performed previously. He's got a great record. So his choice to leave behind that small percent doesn't mean that you aren't going to have a huge improvement of your symptoms. Because he is so highly skilled, it's not someone that was a little dodgy and then happened to only get 50%. <laughs> Some Joe Schmo of the gynecology sphere. Yeah, that's not what we're talking he was about. like, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm pretty sure I can probably get, oh, at least 10% yeah, of I'm your endo. Yeah, i take some of it out. <laughs> However, you can always get a second opinion. So make sure that you always get your post-op report, the surgery photos, the pathology report, Get everything that was done during your surgery in case you want to get a second opinion. Absolutely. You have every right to do that if you want another opinion. And you shouldn't ever feel bad or guilty about it because it's your right. It's called the doctor's opinion because it's not an exact science. It's a practice of medicine. And each doctor has their opinion based on their experience, judgment, and knowledge, which means Every doctor's opinion can be different because so is their experience, judgment, and knowledge. I didn't feel that I needed a second opinion in my case with my surgeon, but like I said, I did feel really upset that part of the endo was left behind. You didn't want a souvenir to stay behind? No. Mm. <laughs> it's the kind of souvenir that nobody wants. <laughs> 
it's just so weird because it's like, well, he got 95%. So why, why am I so obsessed with this 5%? But I wasn't. But also, you just had surgery. You're healing and you're grieving. And there's just so many. A lot of feelings. Yeah, there's so many emotions involved. And there's so much hope. And then there's so much fear. If I'm going to have surgery am I, and if I'm going to feel better. And if I don't feel better, what am I going to do from there? And there was just such a like a mess of emotions happening for me. So I wanted to bring this up. Because, and again, I want you to know that I love my surgeon. I'm so grateful. I sent them both Christmas cards. She did. <laughs> and they she were did. so beautiful. <laughs> and I wrote in the card. and I was like, dear Mr. Surgeon. And then I laid out all the symptoms. Like, I want you to know that you changed my life prior to my excision surgery. I had, and then I just listed, like, I had pain during sex. I had pain when I sat down. I had to carry around a pillow. If I ate a potato, I would be screaming in pain. Like this Christmas. Like, wow, this like, is a Christmas newsletter. Like, oh, wow, is Christmas supposed to be uplifting? But then at the end, which is what this actually, I think, helped me process those feelings because then by the end, towards, you know, that was like, I would, the first two, three thirds. pages later. <laughs> it's an insert special, like inserts in the car. I, I had to sew in extra pages for her. <laughs> As I started writing about all my symptoms and then I would write, but after my surgery with you, these symptoms have disappeared. I mean, these surgeons truly, truly changed my life. By the time I finished writing the card, I was, I wrote it at work because I was going to mail it at work and I was literally sobbing in my in my cubicle. Can't attest to Just that. Silent sob, <laughs> silent sob. But I was literally, tears were streaming down my face because I realized it doesn't matter that they couldn't get all the endometriosis. What matters is the fact that I feel better. And now you can carry endo with you everywhere. Isn't that what you really want? Yay! He'll be with you forever. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Princess Endometriosis. We'll never leave your side. I didn't want to part with you either. <laughs> I love you so dearly. We've been together since I was 16. No, since birth. Yeah, since birth. <laughs> and she just wants to be around for every part of your life. She's like a little doggy that follows me around. That everywhere. lives forever. <laughs> <laughs> she lives as long as I live. You dig up a corpse in the grave. <laughs> You'll dig- what is these spider webs on her insides that didn't decompose? There's my bones and there's just like... <laughs> Black webs. Spots everywhere. <laughs> like, oh, that was the endo. <laughs> that is the endo, Brittany. That is the endo. But now, if you were to decompose and the endo were to be left, there'd just be a little tiny spider web in the corner. So that's a better look. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's shout. Let's give a shout out to excision surgeons, to my surgeon, to any of you listening to your surgeon, just to all the surgeons who are excision surgeons who dedicate their practice to helping us be free of our spider webs. Excision surgery, it is the hardest gynecological surgery. They get in there and sometimes there is endometriosis on the diaphragm, on the appendix, on the bowel, on the bladder. It takes a really high skill to be able to excise endometriosis. And it takes a special person to want to dedicate their life to a field that doesn't really have much glory to it. I would say, you know, we all think about open heart surgeons and brain surgeons. Wow. Like, wow, wow that sounds so cool. So these people knowing that the endo field doesn't get much recognition have so much passion for improving the quality of life for people who suffer with endo. 
That's just doubly incredible to me. Okay, so basically, excision surgeons are like rock stars with a scalpel for people with endometriosis. Woo! I'll take your autograph. Yeah, I'll that take was your me autograph. like a concert or something. <laughs> Although I don't. Can we get a backstage pass? Well, I guess they kind of get a backstage. That's like surgery. I guess they kind of get a backstage pass on us. Yeah. (laughs) Like, all right, you're in this private surgery room. Backstage passes. But I'm like knocked out, so I don't know about it. Oh. No autographs given. Pathology reports could have autographs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope that you can all have excision if that's something that you want to pursue. But we understand that it's not currently available to everyone everywhere. Which is honestly heartbreaking. And you had to wait 16 years for it. Yeah, there were multiple reasons. I mean, I didn't know about excision surgery because I didn't know about endometriosis. And then when I did, I still took me time to learn about excision surgery. And also, I was living abroad and I was living in a place where there just wasn't access to excision surgery or doctors that treated endometriosis. So I just talked about my success with my excision and the resolution of my bowel symptoms. And I wanted to share with you more information from the Center for Endometriosis Care website. As you can see, I love their website and I frequent their website a lot because it has really good information. It's very useful. So definitely I encourage you to go for centerforendo.com and go on their website and read the content library because you can seriously learn so much about endometriosis. So they stated that they also have a post-op follow-up questionnaire that they send their patients yearly. Ooh, how thorough. Yes. The Center for Endo really has it together. I'm really impressed by them, like, all the time. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm just blown away constantly. And they're a leader in the field, and you can see why. Are they hiring? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You aren't? A surgeon. Oh, darn it. Um. I, I could answer questions and smile <laughs> and be really nice. <laughs> they just do really good work, okay? So basically, through their post-op questionnaire, they show that there's an 80% reduction in bowel symptoms after patients have excision surgery. And they say, and I'm going to just quote this here from their website, they said that, Of the more than 1,000 patients in our database, only 3 to 7% continue to have severe episodes of painful bowel movements, constipation, or intestinal cramping. Diarrhea, which was present in 63% of our endometriosis patients, is only significant in 13% following surgery. While excision is definitely the gold standard for so many things, everything in my whole life. (laughs) But we do want to just remind you that it's not the end-all be-all of all healing in our bodies and all of our symptoms. There's so many various cofactors that can be present behind digestive problems, and we're going to talk practically about how to help our guts and give tips for diarrhea. Hmm. Constipation and other digestive <laughs> a lot joys of tips for diarrhea. These digestive joys we get to live with in a couple episodes from now. There's so much more to talk about on this topic, and we are on it, on the toilet, but also on this topic. (laughs) We are now recording live from the toilet. (laughs) We have co-toilets at this point, (laughs) like side by, you know those pictures on the internet? They're like, who would ever put two toilets in a bathroom? Our bathroom, if we ever lived together. (laughs) 
<laughs> then a microphone in between them on the countertop. That's how we record when we both have our periods. <laughs> We're recording live an episode about bowel endometriosis. With having bowel problems. <laughs> what joy. And... In another couple of episodes, we're actually going to talk about living with bowel endometriosis. Fun! Yes, what that joy is really like. (laughs) Everything from how much fun pooping is, to how much fun it is to not be able to poop, and to all of the joys, or some would say fierce, (laughs) of eating any types of food sometimes. I'm going to go with fierce. Definitely fierce. Yeah, fierce. Well, you know, Brittany... What, Amy? Living with endometriosis, especially bowel endometriosis, is a barrel of laughs. What about you listening? Do you have a duke named Sigmoid living inside of you? Is there a court jester rectum rolling around laughing in your anus? Ooh, uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But what about you? What's your experience with bowel endometriosis? Thank you for listening today. As always, we are on Instagram under In 16 Years of Endo. We would love if you would follow us there. You can also reach out to us, leave us a message, say hello, let us know about your pesky bowel endo. And please, if you like the podcast, go ahead and give us a rating because it would really help the podcast grow and reach other endometriosis sufferers. And you can reach us on our website at in16years.com. So we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>